Now, because today is Mother's Day, we thought that we would leave off examining the vessels. We have been examining these, the candlesticks and various things like that up until now, but we, we'll drop that for today, uh, and we'll look at those people who were employed to, to actually do the making of these instruments and to do the work in building the tabernacle. You know, men always consider themselves to be the workers. But on a day like this, I'm not just too sure whether that is always true. Here we have a group of about two or three million people, liberated slaves who'd come up out of Egypt with their families and with their animals. And they consisted of 12 individual tribes. There was a lot of organization. They'd been freed from slavery in Egypt. And they'd set out on a journey which would eventually take them 40 years to complete. Going through a rough wilderness terrain. Being led by God, as we said, by a cloud. A cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. They were, as we saw a few weeks ago, totally dependent upon God. When God moved the cloud, they had to get up and go. When the cloud stopped, they stopped. There were sometimes they were only in the one place, maybe 24 hours, and then the cloud would move and they'd go again. Their life was one of constant movement and dependent upon God. And that's a picture of the way we should be. We should live our lives as if we are, and we are, dependent completely upon God. They camped and they decamped and started off again only as God directed them. And so it was that this sort of ancient bunch of asylum seekers, God declared to Moses that he wanted to dwell with them. Amazing. God said, I want to dwell with this people. Now we know in the New Testament and throughout Scripture, Egypt is a type or a picture of living apart from God under the control of a cruel taskmaster. That's what they were doing. They were living in Egypt, and they had cruel taskmasters. And when the, the New Testament speaks of Egypt, it speaks of living outside a relationship with God. God wants us to forsake that relationship with our taskmasters and get out of Egypt and follow him. The only way that the Israelites got out of Egypt eventually was through the sacrifice of a lamb. You know the story so well, the first Passover, they were to kill a lamb and they were to put the blood on the lintel and on the two side posts. And God said the angel of death was going to pass over. And when I see the blood, he said, I will pass over you. And that's why it's called the Passover. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll, I'll pass over you. You won't come under the wrath of God. And because of that, they got out of Egypt. Wonderful story. All the firstborn in the land were slain. Those who didn't have the blood, those who were not protected by the blood of the Lamb, received God's wrath. And it's the same story. It's the same truth now. That picture referred to the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God. 
because it was a picture the lamb in, in Egypt was a picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ was going to do he was going to die for the sins of the world and he was going to bear the wrath of God and if we put our trust in him and come to him and accept him as our Lord and Savior then the wrath of God doesn't fall on us but if we don't do that the Bible says the wrath of God is still upon those who disbelieve we cannot save ourselves the old hymn which we said in prayer there no other merit now I plead but Jesus died for all my need no righteousness in me is found except upon redemption ground but once out of Egypt the Israelites you know were not left on their own God didn't just get them all out of Egypt and then say right you're on your own uh, sort yourselves out God led them by the fire and by the cloud and Jesus has promised to those who put their trust in him his spirit his spirit comes through the power of the Holy Spirit comes into our lives Jesus said I will send you the comforter another comforter if I don't go away the Holy Spirit cannot come but if I go away I will pray to the Father and he will send you a comforter even the spirit of truth and he will come and he will abide with you forever and as the children of Israel were guided through the wilderness by the cloud and by the fire so the Holy Spirit in our lives will guide and direct us you know we're all going towards a final either death or the Lord will come and take us from this world there's a hymn we used to sing years ago we are going down the valley one by one we are going toward the setting of the sun down the valley where the mournful cypress grows where the streams of death in silence onward flows we are going down the valley one by one human comrade you and I will there have none but a heavenly hand will guide us lest we fall Christ is going down the valley with us all and that's the thing as we go through life Christ is going through life with us if we accept him as our Lord and Savior and so we have seen over the past years God gave very specific instructions to Moses and to the uh, Israelites as to how the tabernacle was to be constructed but you know do you ever wonder how did this bunch of slaves ex-slaves this motley crowd have the wherewithal and the ability to carry out this task for God how did they get that as we go through this world there are jobs that God wants us to do but he just doesn't leave us on our own he gives us the ability and the, the the knowledge where we need it and when we need it to do the tasks which he has for us we used to sing there's a work for Jesus none but you can do serve him ever falter never Christ obey yield him service loyal true there's a work for Jesus none but you can do he, he has a task for each one of us and as he had a task for the various people in the tribes of Israel to, to build this tabernacle for him so he wants us to build up his church in the world Jesus said thankfully lo I am with you always even unto the end of the age I will never leave you nor forsake you Paul was able to say when he wrote I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me 
not in his own strength, but through the strength that Christ gave. Now, regarding the t task that lay ahead for the Israelites in the building of God's house, we, we know where they got a lot of the wealth. When they left Egypt, they, they, the Egyptians were so glad to see them going that they showered gifts on them. And it says they spoiled the land of Egypt. They took so much out when they went. It was all the back pay they had for the slave labor that they'd been doing for years. And they, they were taken, they got this money and the, the money and the gold and the jewelry, they just showered it on the Israelites as they were leaving. And it says in scripture that they spoiled the Egyptians. So they came out and that, that's a prophecy. Way back in Abraham's time it said that these people would come out with great wealth and, and that prophecy was fulfilled. But they needed the ability to do the work and the desire to do the work as well. So let's read a bit in Exodus 35, starting at verse 20. Going back a, a, a little bit, they, they, it says that Moses gathered all the congregation and he explained what God had commanded him and various things and verse 4 says and he spake unto all the congregation of the children of Israel saying this is the thing which God commanded saying and he says take ye from among you an offering unto the Lord whoever is a willing heart, of a willing heart let him bring it an offering of the Lord gold and silver and he went through a whole list of things that they wanted for the tabernacle and you can read it all when you go home, all the various things they needed for the, for the they wanted different uh, gold for candlesticks, they wanted jewels for the, 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 the priest's garments, they wanted the uh, timber, they needed oh many, many things, brass or bronze. And then when he'd finished that, he, and all the verse 20, and all the, co the congregation of the children of Israel departed from the presence of Moses. And they came everyone whose heart stirred him up, and everyone whom his spirit made willing, and they brought the Lord's offering to the work of the tabernacle of the congregation, and for all his service, and for the holy garments. And they came, both men and women, as many as were willing-hearted. They had to be willing-hearted. You know, this wasn't a forced offering. This wasn't something that was imposed on them. This was a free will offering. They were willing-hearted and brought bracelets and earrings and rings and tablets, all jewels of gold, and every man that offered, offered an offering of gold unto the Lord. It looks as if some who had, they must have had actually gold itself. They brought that. And every man with whom was found blue and purple and scarlet and fine linen and goat's hair and red skins of rams and badger skins brought them. They needed all these things for the covering of the tabernacle and for the, the, the various uh, awnings and things. Everyone that did offer an offering of silver and brass brought the Lord's offering and every man with whom was found shittim wood or acacia wood for any work of the service brought it and all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands and brought that which they had spun both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen and all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair 
And the rulers brought onyx stones and stones to be set, stones to be set for the ephod and for the breastplate and spice and oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the sweet incense. The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord. It was a willing offering. That's the whole secret of this. Every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work which the Lord had commanded to be made by the hand of Moses. And Moses said unto the children of Israel, See, the Lord hath called by name Bazalel, the son of Uri and the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he hath filled him with the Spirit of God in wisdom, in understanding, and in knowledge, and in all manner of workmanship, and to devise curious crafts, to work in gold and in silver and in brass and in the cutting of stones to set them and in the carving of wood to make any manner of cunning work. And he have put in his heart that he may teach both he and Aholiab, the son of Ahishamach of the tribe of Dan. Them hath he filled with wisdom of heart to work all manner of work of the engraver and of the cunning workmen and of the embroiderer in purple, blue, and in purple and scarlet, and in fine linen, and of the weaver, even of them that do any work, and of those that devise cunning work. Here we have a list of things that these people brought. They all brought their gifts willingly to the Lord, and they were introduced to these two men who were going to be those in charge. Moses had laid out the plans for the tabernacle and what was required in the first part of the chapter. He was following the instructions from God. It says in verse 4, which the Lord commanded. The Lord had commanded Moses. He had gone in, up in the mount and God had given him instructions as to how the tabernacle was to be built. He was 40 days up in the mount and he as we saw as the tabernacle was being made it constantly said as the Lord showed you. As the Lord there was no way that Moses could add little bits in because he thought it might look better the way he did it. And we need to be careful as we study God's word and as we, we read his word that we do what the word says and not what we think it says but we need to not put any of man's ideas into the worship of God God doesn't want that he wants us to do it exactly as he says and we have this thing we've gone over it many a time even in the tent the, the, the little tent pins that held up the guy ropes where it was indicated what they should be you know, any old bit of, as I said before, any old bit of 4 by 2 timber would have held the thing up just as well. But it wasn't the way God wanted it. And we need to make sure as we go uh, and as we worship God and as we pray to him and that we do it as, as he indicates and not as the way we think it should be. God had commanded. Now in verse 5 the criteria for giving was also say, set out. Who is of a willing heart let him bring the offering. Had to have people of willing hearts. This was no good if, if we're going to do something for God, if we're going to offer something to God, our lives, we have to do it with a willing heart. God wants us to be willing. It also means to be generous. 
to be generous. Second Corinthians, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he says, Every man should give according as he purposeth in his heart. So let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. A giver who gives with without restraint. We're not only talking about money here, we're talking about the things we do in the service for God, how we live our lives. God wants us to live our lives to completely for Him, that we are given over completely to Him. And from verse 20 to 29, we saw the result of this. Because these people were giving from a willing heart, they gave so much. They brought all this gold and silver. We noticed there that the women did spin with their hands and they made they spun goat's hair. And it's also interesting in verse 27, and the rulers, this included everybody, it included the rulers. Quite often we, you know, in Nehemiah we have the story when they were uh, rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Some of the rulers didn't join in. They thought it was a, they were a bit above them, having to, to lay uh, stones and, and things like that. But here, everybody was included. And because the criteria was that they had to have a willing heart. And God had instilled in these people that he wanted to come and dwell with them. So they had to be willing to give of themselves so that he would be able to come and dwell where he wanted to be. They gave from the heart. In verse 29 it says, The children of Israel brought a willing offering unto the Lord, every man and woman whose heart made them willing to bring for all manner of work. In fact, and you know, we don't see much of this these days. It would be a phenomenon if it happened. Look on to chapter 36 and verse 5. The men were starting the work. They were doing the work. And the people, it says, bring much more than enough for the service of the work which the Lord commanded to make. And Moses gave commandment that they caused it to be proclaimed throughout the camp saying let neither man nor woman make any more work for the offering of the sanctuary and so the people were restrained from bringing they were so enthusiastic that they had to be told to stop bringing the stuff I haven't heard of any churches recently where they've had an announcement like that made from the pulpit we don't need any more money stop bringing it for goodness sake <laughs> But that's the, that when God worked with these people, that was the result. They were so enthusiastic for the work of God. Why? Because God had touched their lives and their hearts. And that's what we need to pray. You know, it was a massive, it was a massive offering for all the awnings, for the coverings, for the veils. And, you know, apart from the priest's clothes, I was working it out. There was, apart from the priest's clothes, all those awnings and veils and things... There were about 3,000 square yards of stuff to be woven and embroidered and made. Incredible. Plus all the, the, the gold for the, the surrounds to the various uh, walls and things like that. Why are our missionaries not supported? Why are our pastors and ministers badly off? doesn't affect me. Why? Because the hearts of the people are not softened. They haven't given willingly. They're not, they, see, you start off... You have to give yourself willingly. And then 
everything else comes from that. People have stony hearts, unfortunately. But let's look at the men who were involved in this. You see, that's the secret. Those who were involved in, in enthusing the people. We had Moses, first of all. In Exodus 33, 11, we read, And God spake, the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh with his friend. Moses was on that terms with God. God to him was real. God was alive. See, the trouble with most people nowadays, God is somebody remote. God said, I want to come and dwell with you. If we yield our lives to him, he comes in his Holy Spirit to dwell with us. It's not somebody remote. To Moses, God was someone who, who spoke to him face to face as a friend. It was a reality to Moses. He had constant communion with God as friend to friend. What was the secret with Moses? Zaliel. His name meant in the shadow of God. So often the names of some of these old men in the Old Testament, the, the meanings of their names indicated the type of people they were. This man who'd been picked to, to be one of the leaders his name meant in the shadow of God he lived in the shadow of God that's the way we should be living in the shadow of God and the other man a holiab his name meant his father's tent oh he lived in that relationship with God that he was camping with God day by day that's what his name meant and in verse 30 it says the Lord called them See, they'd been picked by God. They hadn't been picked by, by, by Moses. God had chosen these men. God, they had a God-given vocation. This wasn't just another job as far as they were concerned. They were doing this job for God. It wasn't just, oh, well, we'll get around to it. No, this was going to be the most important thing in their lives. And that's the way we should have our relationship with God. We should have... Give, God should have a priority in our lives. God has a God-given task for each one of us to do. He calls us by name. And are you listening like Samuel of old? We read that, we sang that hymn about uh, Samuel, didn't we? Jesus said, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. He knows us. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man shall pluck them out of my Father's hand. We're held in God's hands, and we're held in the hands of the Lord Jesus. Make sure we listen to hear his voice. There's a lovely hymn we used to sing, Hushed was the evening hymn, the temple courts were dark. The lamp was burning dim before the sacred ark. When suddenly a voice divine rang through the silence of the shrine. Oh, give me Samuel's ear, the open ear, O oh Lord, alive and quick to hear each whisper of thy word. Like him to answer at thy call and to obey thee first of all. And then in verse 31 it gives another secret. 
as to why these men were so successful and why the whole project was successful. They were filled with the Spirit of God. God had given them His Spirit, the ability to do the task that they were going to undertake, and it was a massive task. It took about 11 and a half months, I think, to, to build the tabernacle. But they were filled with the Spirit of God. God has given us His Spirit in order to enable us to do any task He he asks us to do. In verse 34, moving on a bit quickly, and he said, uh, and he have put in his heart that he may teach. The ability to, to pass on the knowledge that he had been given through the Spirit of God indwelling him to teach others. And that's important. As we go through life, we need to, to be able to pass on what God has given to us, to others. These men were given wisdom to do the work of God. Wisdom. That's lacking these days, isn't it? Not just knowledge, not the kind of knowledge that the world is, talks about. That's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about the wisdom that comes from God. The fear of the Lord, the psalmist said in 111. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Our, our, a good understanding have all they that do his commandments, his praise endureth forever. Yes, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what he wants us to, to have a relationship with him. That recognition that he is God and that he, he, he rules our lives. And that's the kind of wisdom we want. In Proverbs, have a look at Proverbs verse, chapter 1 of Proverbs. Solomon is talking about wisdom. And verse 20, it says, Wisdom crieth... Without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. She crieth in the chief places of concourse, in the openings of the gates. In the city, she uttereth her word, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make known my words unto you. This is a picture of Christ speaking. He says, why, why are you not? What about the scorners? You're still scorning. Why are you not coming to me and wanting wisdom? He said, if you come to me, I will pour out my spirit upon you. I will make my words known unto you. Because I have called and ye refused. I have stretched out my hand and no man regarded. But ye have all set at naught my counsel. Instead of his counsel being at 100, they put it at naught. None of my reproof. We need wisdom, and the only wisdom we can get is through God. Let's go back. At verse 25 and 26. And those are the ones I wanted to look at, in particular today. 25 and 26 of chapter 35. And all the women that were wise-hearted did spin with their hands, and brought that which they had spun, both of blue and of purple and of scarlet and of fine linen. And all the women whose hearts stirred them up in wisdom spun goat's hair. Now, the, the, the main place where the scarlet and purple and blue were used was in these, the gate and these two sections here and the covering which went over the whole of the tabernacle. There were four coverings went over the whole of the tabernacles. Underneath here, there were three more apart from that one. And the first one 
was in, done exactly the same as this pattern here that the veil was done in, with cherubims on it. But they spun both blue and purple and scarlet and of fine linen. What an important job, but perhaps it wasn't as spectacular as making the, the, the candlestick, the menorah, or it wasn't as important as job as making the appeared to be the Ark of the Covenant. No, they, they sat at their, their looms and they spun this material. They spun it into thread so that it could be passed on to the weavers who would eventually weave it all together into a cloth. They took the raw material and put it into a usable shape for the weaver to continue. You see, the whole exercise of building the tabernacle was one of complete cooperation. Everybody had to cooperate. They, were, they had the, Moses and the two chaps at the top who taught all the skills to the people underneath and then they in turn produced the goods and the tabernacle was complete. But these women, they had to spin. And on the surface that does not appear perhaps to be much of a job, producing a whole lot of thread to be woven eventually. The strength of the fabric at the end depended on how well the, the women spun the thread at the start. The strength of the whole, of all those awnings and coverings depended on the work of the women. But they, with their delicate fingers, spun and prepared. Not even the two men at the top or any of the wise-hearted men who were doing other jobs and who would make the curtains or the coverings. If the women hadn't done their job properly, well, the whole thing would have started to stretch and shrink and all the rest of it. Take sensitive fingers to spin correctly. Spinning the fibers together so that they are woven into something strong and tight. You know, if you, we used to have flax in Northern Ireland growing and the fibers had to be all spread out and then they all had to be spun into thread. And then the thread was made into linen. And linen was a very strong cloth. So many things could be done, talking about linen the other day, uh, about linen. It's strong, but it all depends on the, how the, it's spun at the very start. You know, it takes the sensitivity of a mother to weave together the children in a family. And bond them together. That they'll grow into something strong. If a mother doesn't do that work when the children are small and she's sensitive to, to what the, the, the needs of the children are, she binds the family and knits it together. The woman is spinning as she does her daily work in the family. And if she can build them into strong little units, then they are ready to face the world and they will grow themselves into something strong and powerful. And when they're launched into the world, we saw on that card, 
when the children leave home, then if the spinning has been done correctly, they will be able to withstand the storms. When these coverings were made, they were made by, by part of them were made by the women's material that they had spun in order to keep the whole thing compact and dry and weatherproof. A woman's job in the home is so sensitive. It doesn't look important. It's not in the glare of publicity, but it needs sensitivity. This is where true sensitivity and the power of God through Christian women in houses is often in evidence. In so many cases, it's the mothers who bind a family together. And we, we see this so many times in times of stress, in times of unemployment, in times of sickness. It's the mothers who bind and knit everything together. It is interesting, too, that it says the women spun goat's hair. They spun this goat's hair. And we saw a few weeks ago that the covering of goat's hair, which was underneath here, you had the, the first of all, the, the colored one, and then you had the goat's hair. And the goat's hair spoke, uh, in, in, in the tabernacle terms, of keeping the, the tabernacle underneath, where God's dwelling was, keeping it separate from the outside world. And you know, that's so important for a woman to keep her family away from all the, the batterings and things uh, that come up onto children these days. It was her who spun the goat's hair. It's a picture of separation, trying to keep the children separate from, from the unholy influences that attack kids these days. And for the Christian, we're told, we're to keep ourselves unspotted from the world keep ourselves pure make sure we have a covering of goat's hair to keep ourselves pure how often is the task of the mother like a mother hen to protect them from the wickedness around and surrounding a family in Colossians chapter 2 in the Old and New Testament again nearly finished in Colossians chapter 2 Galatians, Ephesians Colossians the Bible talks about, the New Testament talks about knitting and binding, 2-2. Two, two. That their hearts might be confronted, being knit together in love. Knit together in love unto all riches of the fullness, full assurance of, the un of understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of the Christ. We have to knit, be knit together in love. That's the way that this whole exercise of providing gifts. The people had a love for God and they were knit together. And that's what, God, that's what the church should be and every little fellowship should be. We should be knit together. New Testament speaks of knitting and binding quite often. That their hearts may be comforted, be knit together. Am I knit together with you? Are we on the same pattern? You know, the women in a church quite often can smooth over problems and difficulties. 
practical love and fellowship and giving hospitality in simple ways and in the training and example to younger women in the church. Many women we know over the years who have been there in the churches silently spinning and ensuring that the family and the church has been strong at the fundamentals but doing it in an unseen way <clears throat> you know recently we hear a lot about spin doctors in the government don't we all this spin but the true spinning we should be doing is when we are controlled by the Holy Spirit and this is finally look at Proverbs 31 here is a woman and a mother who is truly a good spinner a model for all women today chapter 31 and verse 10 who can find a virtuous woman for her price is far above rubies the heart of her husband doth safely trust in her so that he shall have no need of spoil she will do him good and not evil all the days of her life she seeketh wool and flax and worketh willingly with her hands. Spinning. <laughs> she is like the merchant ships. She bringeth her food from afar. She rises also while it is yet night and giveth meat to her household and a portion to her handmaidens. She considereth a field and buyeth it. With the fruit of her hands she planted a vineyard. She girdeth her loins with strength and strengtheneth her arms. She perceiveth that her merchandise is good. Her candle goeth not out by night. She layeth her hands to the spindle, and her hands hold the distaff. She stretches out her hand to the purr, yea, she reacheth her, forth her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She maketh herself coverings of tapestry. Her clothing is silk and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sitteth among the elders of the land. She maketh fine linen and selleth it, and delivereth girdles unto the merchants. Strength and honor are her clothing, and she shall rejoice in time to come. She openeth her mouth with wisdom, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. She looketh well to the ways of her household, and eateth not the bread of idleness. Her children arise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praiseth her. Many daughters have done virtuously, but thou excellest them all. Favor is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands and let her own works praise her in the gates. May we today pray that God will raise up spinners like that on this Mothering Sunday. Thank you.